Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. I'm reading from uh, New King James, whatever version you're reading from, uh, will be blessed. Uh, So we're just going to read that, and then you guys will be able to sit back down. You've been standing during worship. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Then verse 31, you guys can read with us. (laughs) By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now go ahead and have your, have your seats. And so this evening we're continuing, obviously Pastor Chet and others have ably uh, shared and ministered regarding the, the hall of faith, which is Hebrews chapter 11. And we're continuing that tonight uh, as we're just highlighting some of the different people, some of the uh, different people that God has utilized where he called them to acts of faith, to situations that required great faith and how they responded, how God was able to glorify himself, what he was able to do. And then obviously what we are able to learn, we learn from them, uh, but we also look at our own lives. And as we do that, we apply what we see based on what God did there. As we expectantly yield and surrender to him, we look for him to do those same things within our heart and within our life. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, the things that are written uh, for time were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So even when we're looking in the Old Testament, we're seeing what the Lord is doing, and quite often, not simply what the Lord was doing generally, but what he was doing in and through Jesus Christ. It's a, a twofold phrase that says, the, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. Uh, another says, the new is in the old contained, the old is in the new explained. So as we look there, we look at what God is doing how he's dealing with his people, Israel. But then we also look at what he's doing specifically with Jesus Christ and the Messiah, how that relates to our own salvation. Then we humbly present our hearts before him and say, Lord, show me how you want to work this out within my own heart and within my own spirit. And so in this section, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 through 31, uh, up to this point, we've had Pastor Chet and others where we've looked at the different people in the hall of faith. We look at Abel in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11, Enoch verse 5, Noah verse 7, Abraham verse 8, Sarah verse 11, Abraham again verse 17, Isaac verse 20, Joseph verse 22, and Moses verse 23. So we've walked through, how many of you guys have been here for all of them? How many of you guys have been here for another of them? This is your first time here tonight. So we've walked through all, and in each one we've seen something that God has spoken to us, and and then hopefully as we yielded and surrendered before the Lord, we've seen how he's done something in and through our heart. And so now we're coming to this setting, and it's a little bit different because, as you notice, everything I read in those last uh, sections involved names of people, patriarchs and others. So we're dealing with faith where people came to a crisis, and, and they were recalled upon to, to respond in faith and how God moved as they responded in faith. But it seems different, as they say, if you're a little kid, remember listening to Sesame Street and everything else, it says, which of these things is not like the other? And that's what we have here, because we have by faith. And we don't have a name, but we have a thing. We have a wall. You know, by faith, the wall came down. 
And so it would seem that it would say, by faith, Joshua, and we'll explain that a little bit. The very next section returns to form because it says, by faith, Rahab, and it moves forward talking about the different things that have taken place in there. And so we're going to look at this and look at exactly why that is. And we're going to go over uh, this section in terms of, of, of the, you know, the, the, the message of the wall and Rahab. And it's a subject, if we had a subject, it would be faith, fulfillment, mercy, and destiny, because we have all of those here. And just to help you out, there's going to be a, a brief outline. I made them all M so they could be memorable. So there's several different things. It's number one, the mission that we see in this setting. Uh, number two, even though it mentions the wall, there is, in fact, a man. Uh, number three, the ministry. Number four, the misery. <laughs> and you'll understand why. Number five, the moment. Number six, manifestation. Number seven, the mercy. And then rounding it out, number eight, the Messiah. So each of those different things. And so, you know, we want to go back to, to the very beginning in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Scripture says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It says, for by it the elders obtained a good report. So it's letting us know it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then going down a little bit further in verse 6, it says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe, number one, that he is, and number two, that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so as we go through here, we're looking for that same thing. Uh, how was faith involved here? What is God doing here? Who's coming to God? What are they seeking for and everything else? And so the setting here is Jericho. Now, God has led his people, uh, Israel, out of Egypt, and that was pretty miraculous in and of itself. They were under the oppression of a superpower. Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth at the time. And so God showed his might. He said, I'm going to get glory against Pharaoh. And so he showed all of his power, showed all of his might, came up against Pharaoh, sent Moses down. And what was happening there was pretty much a WWE rumble. God smacking down Pharaoh and every God that he trusted in. The backstory is that they had 10 different deities that they trusted in, that they had confidence in. And because they were so powerful, they felt that they were unbeatable. But every one of those plagues was a challenge to one of those different gods. And that's why I say it's like the old battle royal where you had different people coming in battling. So God smacks all of them down and beats all of them. And so the call, though, however, the promise that God gave is that I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, number one. And then number two, I'm going to take you into a land. So I'm going to bring you out and I'm going to take you in. And, and that was the clarion call. When God did it, his claim from this point forward on Israel was, I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. You know, the place that you didn't think you could get out of, the, the thing that you did not think you could overcome. I'm the one that, that did that. I did that thing, and therefore, I showed my power, I showed my glory, and therefore, I'm worthy to be followed and worthy to be obeyed. But it was a twofold promise. He didn't simply promise to bring them out, but he promised to bring them in. And, and even Moses brought this back up to the Lord, because when Israel had sinned, God said, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over. And then he said, no, no, your glory is at stake. You said you're going to bring us out and you're going to take us in. So if you only do, do half the job, if you only brought us out and didn't take us in, then you've come up short, then you failed. And so the setting we have here is the second part of that. You know, God brought them out of the Red Sea. 
And so in this, we see quite a bit that's taking place. There's a miraculous setting that's taking place. It's a a setting involving another major miracle, a setting involving someone willing to take challenges and believe God and, and move forward for him, a setting regarding people who had to put their very lives at risk. They had to act out their faith, a faith that's not worthy to be acted upon is not worth anything at all. And so they had to move at risk of their lives and move forward. And so the setting here is Jericho. And God promised he was going to bring them out. He was going to bring them in. He brought them out of Egypt. He took them across the Red Sea. And what's happening here is now Joshua, who was uh, Moses' assistant. So Joshua is now leading Israel. And what God is doing is he's mirroring some of the same miracles that were involved as he brought them out. And he's preparing them to go in by doing some of those things and some of those same miracles. And so Moses walked around with them for 38 years. That was pretty bad. We'll get to the reason why. But now Joshua is leading. And there's a question, hey, is God with Joshua the same way he was with Moses? Is Joshua able to lead these people the same way Moses was? Moses was very effective in leading them out of Egypt. Is Joshua able to lead them where they need to go? Are the people of God able to still trust God to fulfill the entry into the promised land the same way that they trusted and saw him mightily deliver them from the old land? And so the setting is Jericho. Jericho has, it is two very distinct things about it. They get out, they get across the river, and the promise is that they're going to go in and conquer the land. But now they have a seemingly insurmountable obstacle because there's two things about Jericho. First of all, it's 825 feet below sea level. It's literally the lowest place on earth. So before they go into the things that God is going to do for them and they get into this promise, God is bringing them lower than they've ever been before. But then they're also facing a city with the biggest walls that have existed. Some suggest that the walls were as high as 50 feet tall and about 20 to 25 feet wide. Biggest and most fortified city which is around there. And so you can imagine after coming out of difficulty and everything else, they're ready to go. Hey, the Lord's taking us across the river. It's time for us to go in. Oh, man, Lord is really going to do some mighty, wonderful things. But they find themselves coming lower and lower and lower. And they wouldn't ask themselves like, all right, man, when, when are we going to get to this thing where God brings out the miracles, where God does the next greatest thing? And so they come down to the lowest point. And then from that low point, which is bad enough, they look up at the tallest walls that they have ever seen. And so they have a twofold problem going on here. They're at their lowest point and they're facing their biggest obstacle. Yet they still have the command. They still have the expectation. They still have the promise. Turning back is not an option. They don't have an option of not moving forward. They don't have an option of not working this thing out. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They're amongst people who are hostile to them. If they don't move forward with the Lord, it means certain death for them. But they're at the lowest point that they could ever possibly be. And they're facing the largest obstacle that they've ever faced. And so as we get into these things, we have number one, first of all, the mission. And so one thing we need to understand with them is there's a lot which is going on here. There's many different levels, you know. And as we look, the most simple level is that they're facing a city that they have to conquer. Jericho stood guard over the whole area. If they didn't overcome Jericho, they were not going to move any further. They were not going to get any more victory. If they tried moving forward with Jericho there, such a formidable army, you know, which was there and, and they were ensconced safely behind their walls, all they would do is wait for them to get a few miles out and they would simply come out and attack them. 
So they had to deal with this situation. And so beyond all this, though, is it was God's plan. It was God's program which was going on. God said, I'm going to bring you out and I'm going to take you in. So even though they're at this difficult place, they were, they were completely on mission. They were in the center of God, God's will. God himself had led them to this place. It wasn't of their own doing. They didn't just have some fanciful idea of coming out here, but they were obeying God and they had to deal with this to enter into the rest of what God willed and what God desires. And so what we see is God's redemptive plan is necessary here. God had given them a promise that he had given a promise to Abraham that I'm going to give you a son from that son. I'm going to make a nation and and for that nation, I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you a land. And God even took it further and said, not only am I going to be doing these things in the natural, I'm going to do some great things that's going to affect the rest of the world. In Genesis chapter 12, he said, in you and in your seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed. And so God is working in the natural with the problem. He's working within their heart and within their life because their whole destiny is, is focused on this situation, focused on this dilemma. But then God's also doing some mightier things dealing with all of eternity because they have to come into the land to be a people. From that people is going to come a particular tribe, the tribe of Judah. From that tribe is going to come a particular family, the family of Jesse, Uh, And of that family of Jesse is going to come the bloodline through which there'll be a king called David. And then from David will come the Messiah. And so God's whole redemptive plan, what he was doing, wasn't just centered on what was happening so many thousands of years ago, but all of eternity was focused on this, the salvation of others. Everything that God was going to do was going to be involved. And so number one, they were on mission. They were on a mission ordained by God. They were on a mission which was in the center of God's plan. They were on a mission that had implications not only for themselves, but moving further on in the rest of what God was doing. And so Genesis chapter 12, verses three and seven, you know, he's told that, you know, in you and in your seed, uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He says, I'll bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared on him. So number one, they were on mission. They didn't just decide to wander around and pick some big wall to come over. So they were on mission. But number two, You know, that's the setting of everything. That's the wall. Remember, it mentioned the wall rather than a person, and that's what's distinct. But we do have a man behind here. There's a man behind it. And so we look here. Uh, uh, We have a man named O'Shea. (laughs) How many of you guys ever heard of O'Shea? Okay, well, O'Shea is not just (laughs) the name of, uh, I won't even mention the, uh, just just a genre of music, but it was the name of Joshua. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) yeah, you, you guys know who he is. But, uh, but Moses actually took him and renamed him Joshua. So first we have mission, but now looking further at the mission, we have Joshua. His name was changed to Joshua. And the name Joshua is very distinct because it is basically the Old Testament equivalent of Jesus. The name Joshua is two words together, which is Jehovah and Shua. The, the, the short version is Jehoshua, and it literally means Jehovah or God saves. So even in the name, we see something about what God was doing in this situation. And so he was named Jehovah Shua. He was named God saves. 
And so Joshua was a successor to Moses. Moses received the law. And we know that there are some things you read uh, Galatians and you read uh, Romans and other areas. You see how God did some things in the old covenant through the law. But his plan all along was to take it further to not simply have man under law, but to bring him into covenant relationship with him. And so there we have a testament because what we have here is pretty much a type of Christ, a type of Jesus, his very name. You know, the the Greek Yesu uh, in the New Testament is literally the Greek version of this name here, which is Joshua. So we have him showing up as a type of Christ. And so he was Moses. Uh, 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 well, first of all, he was his name was changed to Joshua, which means uh, uh, God saved. He was a successor to Moses. Uh, just as grace follows the law and the new covenant follows the old covenant. And so Joshua was this man who was there. And so it's a lot more which was happening because there was a ministry of Joshua. He wasn't just someone who was pulled out. We see in Exodus chapter 17 and 9, Joshua was a G, literally. He was a general. When the Amalekites came out and attacked them, Joshua was the one, not Moses, who went out and led the armies to do battle against the Amalekites. So he's being obedient. He's fulfilling God's plan. He's able to follow and take orders from others in order to fulfill God's plan, even when he was not the main guy or the main man. And so he fought against the, the, uh, uh, um, the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. Uh, he was Moses' minister or Moses' uh, assistant. You know, as we look at uh, Exodus chapter 24, verse 13, real quickly. Okay, Exodus chapter 24, verse 13, it says, So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But as we go a little bit further, uh, Exodus chapter 33, verse 10, it's pretty interesting. Moses went to speak before God. The others were too afraid and they stayed back. Uh, and so in Exodus chapter tw uh, uh, 33, verse 10, it says, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. Verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart out of the temple. And so Joshua was a G. First of all, he did battle on behalf of the Lord against the Amalekites. But remember what happened on Mount Zion. They saw the lightning, they saw the cloud, they saw the fire and everything else. They said, Moses, we're not going up there. You know, Mo, you going up there and hang out and see what's going on because they thought they would die. And when Moses was up there for 40 years, they thought he had died and made themselves a calf. So they feared the presence of God. Moses went in to speak face to face. But we see there in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, that Joshua did not fear the presence of God. Joshua chilled and literally hung out in the presence of the Lord. He remained in the tabernacle. And so he was there in the place of the presence of God, the face of God and the voice of God. So he was a warrior. He was a general. He was humble enough to be an assistant, mighty enough to be a warrior, but reverent enough to stay in the presence of God. And that's a guide for us. You know, we have battles. We want to fight battles when necessary. We depend on the Lord's power for that. 
We want to be humble and recognize that we can follow and, 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 and serve others. But at the same time, we want to have a reverence for the presence of God. He was there before the face of God, receiving from God. And so this was, the man was Joshua. The ministry was uh, that of a warrior, that of a general, that of a humble servant, and then that of one who reverenced and stayed in the place of God. And so Joshua was a mighty person. And so we think that, hey, with all this going on, you know, he's faithful and everything else that that the story would go pretty quickly. And, you know, Joshua did mighty things and God worked everything up. But that's not the case. (laughs) You know, unfortunately, there's another M in this, which I will call the misery. (laughs) Misery. There was a there's an old movie called Misery that involved images of a lot of pain. Now, now, Joshua and Caleb were two. They believed God from day one. Joshua, as a result of being mighty and being willing to go and do war, as, as a result of being humble and said, hey, if Moses, the person I serve, says we're going, then I'm willing to go. As a result of hearing from God and standing on the word of God, he was able to believe God. And so from day one in Numbers chapter 13, verses 30 through 33, if we go back and look there real quick. Okay, there we go. (laughs) Faster. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we're well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And so they went. Moses sent out uh, 12 spies to go and check out the land. And so some of the spies came back with a good report. And some of the spies came back with an evil report. And so, you know, there, you know, as you go a little bit further, of 32, it says, uh, the children of Israel, they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Uh, They spied out of the land which they had spied out, saying, "The, the land through which we have gone as spies is land that devours its inhabitants and all the people who we saw in it over are of great stature, 33. There saw we giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we wore in their sight. And so the next chapter, chapter 14, Moses uh, listens to these people that come back. And so Caleb and Joshua give a good report. They give a proper report based on faith before the Lord, but they're overridden by the others. And so, you know, verse 6, Numbers chapter 14, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. They're saying, hey, we're able to do this. And so they rend their clothes because they see what's happening. God sent them out. God's brought them to this crisis moment. God promised that he's going to take them in. They're able to believe and trust in God and and see and recognize that God is able to deliver them. But unfortunately, the people begin swaying the others and the people begin leading the people away from faith. And it brings them to the point where they're not able to believe or obediently move in despite the fact that God had promised. And so the result of that, the, the, the 10 doubters threatened ultimately to stone them and, and, and to kill them. And so they bring a curse upon themselves because of their unbelief. And so Numbers chapter 14, verses 14 through 18, you know, as we look that, look there, God looks and he says, because you guys did not obey, 
because you did not trust me in faith, because you said that you're going to die in the face of the enemies, well, death is going to be. And so God, even though he was there, even though he was willing, even though he was powerful, and he had already showed his might and everything else, declared that because you did not believe me, you're going to wander. You're going to wander, and you're going to wander, and you're going to wander. And you're not just going to wander going on a journey, but the purpose of that wandering is I'm killing every single one of you. Everybody 20 years old and upward, everybody who's old enough to have seen and recognized the power of what I did before and, and did not respond in faith, you're going to walk until every single one of them dies. And not only were they going to die over the 38 years, just to get a jump on what he was going to do, all 10 of the ones who spoke the evil report died quickly of a plague. And so God kills them, but leaves Caleb and Joshua alive as a symbol. And for the next 38 years, they walk and he kills every single one of the older people that did not believe. Now, the reason I call this to misery is because that's not fair to Joshua. That's not fair to Caleb. Joshua was a G. He was a general. He, he believed he was in the presence of God. He stood on God's word and was willing to move forward in obedience to what God had said. And so he's there. He's brought to the place of promise. He's brought to the place of what God is going to do. And through no fault of his own, the fulfillment of his promise gets delayed. Now, it's not fair. 38 years for two people is highly unfair. The two that believed the two that trusted God, the two that testified and stood on what God was able to do. The two that every right, if no one else did, he could have just walked those two in there and started a new nation. But instead, they're consigned to go along with everyone else. And so Caleb and Joshua for those 38 years, as bad as it is for the nation, it's miserable for these two. Because Lord, we trusted you. We, we, we stood on your word. We testified about what you were able to do. We believed. We did not doubt. We would have gone in just ourselves believing that you could have done exactly what you said you were going to do. But for 38 years, they've got to walk. And for 38 years, friends, every couple weeks, a friend drops. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, loved ones. So imagine the PTSD, the trauma, the anguish of watching everyone that you know above a certain age, drop dead because of unbelief. Now, they deserved it because they didn't obey. Caleb and Joshua obey. And so it seems kind of unfair. They're in this place. And, and for a miserable 38 years, even though believing, even though trusting in God, even though having full confidence in what God is able to do, they've got to walk. They've got to walk. They've got to endure. They've got to endure the deprivation. When they look for water, yeah, they ultimately trusted and God delivered water from a rock but they were thirsty for a little while. You know, yes, they walked and, and, and they got quail and they got manna, but they were hungry for a little while. Yeah, God ultimately gave Moses the symbol of the, the uh, snake on the pole and said, when you look at this pole, you know, you're going to be healed. But they had to also be there and watch the people who were stung by the serpents in the first place because of their unbelief. And so... 38 years of ministry, despite the fact that he was faithful, despite the fact that he was a man of God, despite the fact that he, if no one else, was on mission, despite the fact that he was willing to move out on the word of God and never doubted the word of God. And so he's brought to this place of 38 years of misery. And so Numbers 14, 18 through 38 speaks about that time of death. And then Numbers 
Chapter 16, verses 64 through 65, establishes the fact that when everything was said and done, only Caleb and Joshua were left. And so it's great for them. But 38 years of misery, 38 years of PTSD, 38 years of the trauma of watching death and judgment and plague and judgment. And so finally, God brings him to this moment. And so that's why it's different. It doesn't mention and say, by faith, Joshua, because in every single one of those people, what was happening is God would challenge them with a moment. They would have to rise to the occasion. Some in the midst of doubt, some would have to pray. They would have to rise to the occasion. At times, God would have to touch them. God would have to strengthen them, but they'd have to respond and dig deep and find faith somewhere. So the moment came up. And then they had to develop faith in order to get through the barrier to what God was going to do. The difference with Joshua is the moment arrives and he's been trusting for 38 years. He's been believing for 38 years. And so by faith, it doesn't say by faith, Joshua, because Joshua did not have a crisis moment of faith. Joshua was believing that whole time. Joshua was miserable that whole time. And so what we have here is a different type of moment, not where someone's coming to faith, but where God is bringing him to the point where he's going to bring about the, uh, 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 the deliverance and the fulfillment of what he said. And so for Joshua, this is a time not of faith because faith has already been there, but it's a time of relief from the weariness. It's a, it's a moment where he's going to be vindicated. It's a moment where he's going to be delivered from that time of cursing, that time of of, of trauma of watching all of the rest of these people die. And so the moment brings them to Jericho. It's an ominous barrier to entry. They've got to go and into the land to fulfill the rest of what God is doing. And after everything else, Joshua says, hey, finally, finally, we coming across the water. Finally, we went across Egypt and went across the Red Sea to come out. Finally, we're coming across Jordan and we're going to go in. And you would think that they would be focused on, all right, man, Lord, finally, we're going to walk in here and we're going to do this thing. But instead, they come to the lowest point, facing the biggest barrier. And so at times when we have been waiting and trusting, some of us, you know, we, we have crisis moments where God brings us to faith. How many of you guys have, have received a word or a promise from the Lord and you know that there's something that he promised you and said that he wanted to do where you've had to wait a while? Is there anybody who had to wait to the extent that you wondered if it was ever going to take place? You've, you've, you've seen delays and you've seen things and everything else. And, and it seems like every time it looks like things are going to break forth, something standing in your face. And, and, and when it finally looks like God's going to do something, something else pops up. So they walk across the river, Joshua and Caleb, man, finally, finally, we believed all along, finally. But they walk down into this valley as low as they can get. And they're looking up higher than they've ever looked before. So he brings them to this moment. And so Joshua learns, though, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, he sends two spies <laughs> into the land. Now, before, Moses sent 10 spies. And what we got was a, a faithful report by two people <laughs> and, and 10 people not only not believing, but not believing to the extent that they wanted to stone the, the very two people who trusted and believed in God. And so Joshua learns, he sends two people into the, 
two people into the land. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove uh, to spy secretly, saying, go and view the land, especially Jericho, especially the biggest barrier, especially the biggest obstacle. So he, he sends them out. And he learned. So because two people came back with a good report, I'm sending y'all out and I'm expecting you to come back with a good report. So it only takes two. You know, the old song, it takes two, baby. And so <laughs> he only sent two. He sent two out there and he was not going to repeat that mistake. And then as things continue, you know, God gives some very specific instructions. And so, you know, they, 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 they smacked down 10 plagues. They... Uh, got victory over Egypt. They, they had, at this point, victory against the Amalekites and everything else. So you'd think that God would have given them some very strong instructions in terms of, you know, how they're going to get out there and how they're going to get everything on and cracking, how they're going to begin to fight. But instead, the Lord gives different instructions. And so beyond this, there's also some other parallels between what Joshua is doing and what Moses did. Remember Moses, when he received the word from the Lord, Exodus chapter three, verse 14, Moses is there and he sees a bush which is burning, but not consumed. And so Moses goes there and the Lord speaks to him. He says, take the shoes off your feet because the place that you're standing is holy ground. And that's where Moses first saw God face to face. And so Joshua comes through these same things. Moses delivered the people across the Red Sea out of Egypt. Joshua delivers the people across the Jordan going in to Canaan. Moses met God face to face uh, at the burning bush. And in Joshua chapter five, verses 13, uh, it says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, am I now come? Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now, the distinction that we know when we see different angels, different what are called theophanies or Christophanies, it means that God's appearing ahead of time. We know it's the Lord himself or Jesus himself because only Jesus can receive worship. And so Joshua bows and worships and he receives that worship. And so finally, we get the manifestation in uh, Joshua chapter 6. God gives some very clear instructions, says, hey, you're going to walk around the land. You're going to walk around the city. You're not going to speak a word. So two places, first with the two witnesses and then with them not speaking, he gave no opportunity for words of unbelief. And so Joshua chapter six, verse 10, it says, now Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. Verse 20 of chapter 6. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And so Joshua is brought to this moment, and then God brings about a miraculous manifestation. He, he, the walls actually come down, even though he's at his lowest point, lower than he's ever been before, even though he's looking at an obstacle bigger than everything he saw before. And obeying God and leading the people to obey God, this wall actually comes down. And so the rest of the story, we know the rest of the plan. That's the first city, and then Joshua is led 
throughout the rest of the book to deliver the uh, land that God had promised into their hand. And so he's being used there. So by faith, not a faith that came to exist in a crisis moment, but a faith that had always been there, a faith that he walked 38 years in misery, but God brings him to the point where he delivers him. And so that is the manifestation. But then we have the mercy. And so remember, a lot of what God is doing uh, shows what he's going to do later in Christ. Pastor Chet ably stated a little while ago as he was talking about how on, on the night of Passover, they had to take blood and they had to put it on a doorpost and the lintel. They had to put it in the shape of a cross. And so wherever that blood appeared, the death angel was going to pass over them. So we have a symbol of a cross, we have blood, and we have God showing deliverance and mercy by preserving from death. That's the whole story of the Messiah. He comes and sheds his blood. He offers his blood, sprinkles it on the mercy seat. And whoever will trust in him and believe in him, if you have not done it, you can do it tonight. Whoever trusts and believes in him and is covered in the blood of Jesus, then when death comes, eternal death at the end of life or after the rapture, God will look at us and say, look, man, they're covered in my blood. They're written in the book of life. They get in. But we have the same thing happening here, you know, with Rahab. And so as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 31, quickly, it says, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now, there's a whole lot packed in there. She's a harlot. She's a person who sells herself for money. And so as they come, if you look back at the beginning of Joshua chapter 2, uh, verse 15 and 18, uh, she receives the spies into her house, hides them at great risk to herself. Because if she's found with these spies, she and her whole house will be killed. But she hears from the Lord uh, she hears tales of what the Lord is doing on behalf of his people. And so she goes and she trusts and she believes and she hides them. So she sows mercies to the spies. And as a result, God shows mercy to her house. He preserves her in her house. Uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, uh, verse 22 and 23. You know, we see how when the wall comes down, there's two miracles. First of all, the whole wall fell. But her house was on a wall. Because remember, she let the spies down by the wall. The whole wall falls except for her section. And so God has mercy on her because of her act of faith. And so even though she's a harlot, even though she's a streetwalker, even though she's a sinner, about as sinful as a sinner can be, we see how she responds in faith to God. And as a result of that faith, God has mercy even on her. If you're here tonight and you have not trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, wherever you are, whatever you've done, Whatever sin you've been involved in, whatever you're bound in, whatever reasons you think God would have for not receiving you, if you respond in faith to what he has offered, he'll save you too. You know, he'll, he'll move you from that, that state of lostness, that state of condemnation to the point where you too can be delivered. And so she gets delivered, but there's a symbol. Joshua says, hey, you got you to put this red cord out of your window. And when we see that red cord, we're going to know which house to spare. Now, what did I say about Passover? Blood on the lintel. So based on the symbol of blood, the red, God passed over. And in Rahab's house, it was the same thing, the symbol of blood. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, trust in Jesus Christ. Be washed in his cleansing blood, and you too can be delivered. And so 
you know, much like what was happening with Joshua and Israel was setting up everything later for the Messiah, a people, a land, a promise, a family, a Messiah. The same thing happens for Rahab. She's not only saved and delivered from her harlotry, but James chapter 2, verse 25 through 26 says she was justified because of what she did. You know, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. But it goes even further. Mark chapter 1, verse 5, if we can put that last scripture up there. Do we have Mark 1, verse 5? If not, I'll turn to it. No, we don't have it. I got to hurry up and get down from here because we, we're over. Mark chapter 1, verse 5. Mark 1. I'm sorry, Matthew, Matthew, uh, chapter one, verse five, excuse me. So Matthew chapter one, verse five, it says, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse. So, you know, she ends up being the great grandparent of David. And we know that David, his line was the line that brought about the Messiah. So as lost as she was, God delivered her. God saved her, God redeemed her, and didn't just leave her as one of the random redeemed, but gave her the honor of being in the bloodline of the Messiah. And so wherever we are, whatever we're doing, you know, much like they had to confront and trust in God to get through that wall for the rest of what God was doing, it was part of, once again, God's overall redemptive plan. They had to be in the land for the rest of what God is doing. Likewise, in order for the bloodline of the Messiah to be fulfilled, Rahab had to be saved. She had to be delivered. So both of them came in crisis moments. Joshua was longstanding faith that was finally vindicated with the manifestation of what God was doing. So if you've been waiting for something a long time, let your mission be rooted in the Lord and then trust and believe and he'll work out his plan and purpose for your life. It's his plan, not our own plan. But then also crisis moments where things seem to come on us suddenly If we trust and believe in God, he can work these things out as well. So she's blessed to be part of the bloodline of the Messiah. And so there, as we said from the very beginning, you know, we have a message of faith. We have the fulfillment in Joshua. We have the mercy of Rahab, but both of them are wrapped up in fulfilling all of God's overall destiny. And so we got to stop here. But if you're here, if you're trusting and believing God, if you've been waiting a long time, if you've been dealing with difficulty and you're feeling dejected and thinking about giving up, as long as you're rooted and focused on what God is doing, what God wills, what God desires, keep holding on. Keep establishing that faith and the Lord will come and intervene on your behalf. But it's also important to recognize it's not simply what we want for ourselves, but it's a matter of what God is doing. So you know, Matthew six thirty three. seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So what you want to do in addition to that faith is make sure you align yourself, your expectation, your surrender, and everything else to what God is doing. But then likewise, if you're here, if you're dealing with addiction, if you're dealing with shameful things, if you're still walking in something, or you believe that you're so far, so lost, so forgotten, and, and so irredeemable, that God either does not love you or cannot save you or cannot use you. Let Rahab be an example to you. Get in the center of what God is doing. That cord represented trusting in the blood of Jesus. And so tonight you're able to trust in Jesus Christ because if he sees his blood on your life, then you're saved, then you're healed, then you're redeemed. But much like her, you can also find that he desires to fulfill a destiny in and through 
your life. There's none of us that's so far lost, so far gone, that we cannot be saved, that we cannot be healed. But newsflash, we can also be used. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to pray. We're going to end. If, you, if God has spoken to your heart and you need prayer concerning anything, there'll be some people down here who will desire to pray, particularly you know, if you're feeling lost, if you're feeling dejected, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, if you're not yet, yet covered in the blood you know, uh, or trusting in Jesus Christ, and let tonight be the time that you, you, you get that deliverance, you get that fulfillment. You are redeemed from wherever you are and whatever you've been through. And you step into what God desires to do in and through your life from this point forward. He loves you. And much like Rahab, he has a plan and purpose for your life. So let's all give ourselves to that. So let's pray. Let's pray. And then we'll have the worship team come back with another song. But I believe there'll be people here praying and in the prayer room. We'll be in the lobby or whatever else. You need prayer. If God has spoken to your heart, you need prayer concerning anything, you know, go ahead and do that. So Father, we just honor you and glorify you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your plan, for your purpose. Pray, Lord, even as you've spoken to the hearts of some, that you would guard that word, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work out the purpose for what you've sent it within their heart and within their life, Father. That as you've spoken to our heart tonight, Father, let your Holy Spirit superintend that and lead us and guide us so that what you desire can be fulfilled in and through our life. Glorify yourself, Father. Uh, let your word not return voice and void in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.